Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode, Nick and myself sit down with a good friend of both of ours, Robert Bradrick. He, his family got into commercial real estate and own a bunch of commercial real estate along the QEW, so kind of on the west side of Toronto. And with everything going on in the real estate world, we thought we'd bring Rob back to share an update on what he's seeing in that space. We do a lot of work with residential real estate investors and investing. We're not as experienced with the commercial side of things, so we thought, why don't we bring in somebody who's in the commercial world where they can talk about some of this stuff so we can learn what's going on in that space as well. So Rob agreed to come on. He shared his insight on what he's seeing in commercial real estate, the type of commercial real estate that he's dealing with, some of the differences between the Burlington markets and the Toronto market. So um, we think you'll find this really interesting. And if you are listening to this and you're trying to figure out how you're gonna get into real estate investing, one of the classes that we offer Rockstar Inner Circle members is taught by our own accountant who explains how to invest in real estate using corporations. A lot of Canadians want to dive into the world of real estate investing, but they never know if they should hold the properties themselves personally, or are there tax advantages or liability advantages to holding rental property inside a corporation? And there are things to consider when you're doing that. How do the banks react to that? Do all banks accept that on residential real estate investing? What are some of the gotchas around that? So the pros and cons. So that is just one of the many classes that Rockstar Inner Circle members get access access to when they are a member. It's this class taught by our accountant that outlines all the pros and cons of owning real estate yourself, personally, or inside a corporation. There's other classes that we have here at Rockstar as well. One of them that layers on top of that class is an estate planning class, and it explains some of the advantages and disadvantages, again, to holding real estate in corporations or personally when it comes to your own estate planning. So as a Rockstar Inner Circle member, this is the tri- kind of information you get access to that we're updating all the time and that we're bringing in the top professionals in the area to share with Rockstar Inner Circle members. So if you want to find more information about the membership, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com and on there you'll find a a link to to learn more about the membership. That's at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Robert Bradrick, also known as the famous Maulers goalie in men's league from, I don't know, what years would that be? Not, what years would that be? What are we, 2023? 2006. What 2006. For, I feel like it was a 10-year run. Could it be a 10-year run? Uh, close to. You were, you were, listen, we you, won C division one year for sure. I don't know if we won B division ever. We never won A division. We never went into A, but we've won every division that we've played in. Whoa! I like to say it like that. Yeah, we won every. The goal. The goalie wants to be recognized for his uh, for his achievements. I when the last one we won. I'm pushing the mic towards you. There we go. The last one that we won, I stole the trophy because I was so mad at everybody because you guys showed up late. And then I had to stand on my head, and in the first period, I almost had a hernia. Did we show up late for the championship game? Everybody was in the dressing room when the Zamboni was on the ice. See, that's why you need a goal. A goalie's always a little, there's always something going on in the goalie's head that you don't fully understand. If the Zamboni was on the ice and we were just, we might've been warming up in the change room. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that funny? It's men's league. We could run out. Dude, you've seen, listen, 
You've seen my slap shot. It doesn't really need a warm up. It does not. Hey, if anyone's going to shudder in fear, it would be Rob Bradrick. Because when he saw me wind up, he would know the rocket that's coming off my stick next. 100%. You're still in love with the slap shot? Hasn't played in 10 years. God bless. <laughs> he was scared that I wouldn't be able to stop and I would smash straight into him. That's what he was That's yeah. what he was scared of. I was there was one him. time where Nick was like a bowling ball. I, there was, I feel like there was like three or four guys in front of you in front of the net. Mm-hmm. And I just saw Nick plowing down the ice coming back. And I knew he wasn't going to be able to stop because... Because Nick's skating ability at that time, I think it actually increased every year. It increased. But at that time, I knew he was not stopping from that type of speed. And he literally just smashed into everyone. And because because Nick's strong and solid, it was like a bowling ball. Because the three guys just dispersed after Nick smashed into them. I'll never forget that. I Actually, it, it was in the Brampton Arena. And it was if you come in, it was the rink to the right. I can see <laughs> him trekking down the ice, smashing through everybody. But that's when you could see the other rink from the other side. So my vision... I was looking and I thought, why is he going so fast? Is he coming from the other <laughs> ring? I don't know. That, that, that oh, was a good, that what was I, look, what I lacked in skill, I made up for an effort. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's, there was, that's what I, you need in men's league. I don't know if either of you guys were on the team for this game. Do you remember the, uh, I don't want to say his last name. <laughs> do you remember Rob's I rem- pen- I know what penalty shot? This, yeah. do, do you remember Rob's penalty shot? No. Okay. Rob on the team got a penalty shot and I, my memory sometimes chews this up a little bit, but the goalie under protest on the other yeah. team skated out of the net for the penalty shot because he was just so upset that it was a it was a wrong call by the refs. And Rob on our team, probably one of the had the you know the least amount of hockey experience. I was going to say skill. <laughs> he had the least amount of hockey experience. Maybe that's the more politically correct way to say it. And uh, we're like, Rob, you take the penalty shot. And I guess it was called on him for him to take it, or we voted him to take it. However, it forget, worked. Yeah. He was taking the penalty shot. He goes down the ice on an empty net and fans on the puck. So he didn't score on a penalty shot with no goalie in the net. And that was, to me was like the highlight of the entire <laughs> entire year. I wish I was in the dressing room after that for that. <laughs> oh Just God. for the banter. <laughs> he didn't hear the end of it all season. Oh boy. Anyway, we, we have to get on to uh, important subjects. Are you telling me your followers don't care about your uh, men's league hockey followers? Career? Followers. That seems very strange when you say your followers. Followers. The people listening to this are they're an audience. Your audience you definitely apologies. do not have followers. There's definitely someone listening to this who hates us and will point out to their friends that everything we say wrong and when we say it. It's the internet. There's no accountability. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but um your um you were just saying though, your daughter is playing hockey now. I have uh, I have two kids that play hockey. I've got a, a forward. Uh, right winger, my son, uh, who's I've got a that, forward, that sounds like a you could, yeah, and a son. Yeah, I got a forward. I have a forward and, and a goalie. Yeah, <laughs> I have two members of our family. One is a right winger, and one is a goalie. <laughs> we are we are truly a hockey household. Um, from time to time, you can come in the front uh, front door, and the hockey equipment will be right sprawled out in the front door, ready to go because we have to go back to practice the next day. Um, but I do have a daughter that's uh, picking up the uh, goalie trade, and um, but it's she's. Both left foot, right foot, ambidextrous doesn't make doesn't know what's dominant, and it is so funny to watch because she has no idea how lucky she is to have that. When I was growing up and doing training, I'm right-handed, so I'm right side dominant. So my right leg is stronger. I, I, in soccer, I kick uh, with the right foot. Hmm. Um, she doesn't know the difference. <laughs> so to watch somebody 
Like it just the athleticism, and, and that's that important as a goalie, I guess, just because pushing side to side, it's a lot easier. Is is that the primary yeah. reason? If you're if either hand, you're not kicking, it, you're not kicking the puck often there, Rob. No, but you're, but it is, it's a, it, you'll end up having a dominant foot, and so with a dominant foot means you would use your right foot more than your left foot in my situation to get up or for whatever, mm-hmm. and you would be caught in a position where if you're using your left foot, you're more square to the shooter. If you're using your right foot. You have to have a half a second just to square up. She doesn't do that. She's just square all the time, and um, but she's also fiercely competitive. It's pretty funny. Such a tough spot, though, goalie man. When things are going bad, what's going through a goalie's mind? It's just you're on your. It's almost like you're part of the team, but you're kind of back there on your own so much. Last line of defense, right? Everybody can make a mistake, but yours are the most noticed. Yeah, yeah. But she's fine with it. I mean, she. Um, girl sports have come a long way now and they uh, the leadership all those types of things that come with it they're, it, what I like about rep hockey is the kids are allowed to lose mm-hmm. um, participation badges stuff like that go away you don't win a tournament you don't win the tournament you don't get anything You get maybe you get a t-shirt from a sponsor but that's about it so um, and it's like life you don't get every job you don't and not every boy likes you like you know what I mean those that kind of stuff not every person likes you mm-hmm. um I, that's what the big thing for competitive sports for me is what it teaches those kids. Outside of that, I mean, she's doing really well. There's a lot of people that know her. She's I. It's fun to be Bianca's dad. Um, so it's kind of neat that way that she's kind of like a little bit celebrity, a big personality too. So awesome. Um, so it's fun to watch them grow up and and to be passionate about something. And then she's also she trains a lot and she's uh, but she does well in school. Both my kids are like that. So, so work life balance. She's ten. She's ten, going and, on eleven. And, and your son? He's going to high school next year. Before. And he's a right winger. He's a right. Still playing hockey. He's still playing hockey. Yeah. Wow. Um, but he's playing hockey for the reasons that you put kids in hockey. He loves the team. He loves the dressing room. He loves to compete, um, tournaments, all that's the fun. He oh. plays. He loves it, and he loves. He wants to win, but he's having a good time. The banter that we had in the dressing room over the Maulers years, like I just went for the dressing room banter. Yeah. Like that was you only played the game to have more banter. Yeah, camaraderie. It, that was it. And those crappy wings, those crappy <laughs> rings. Now with that those sauce, those wings were crappy. No, that, yeah. The next morning, man, I would just be on. The, this is, I guess, too much information yeah. for everyone. But yeah, just <laughs> on the toilet. It's just not a pretty sight. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't like that. No matter how many of those napkins I used, I still woke up in the morning with sauce underneath my fingernails like like <laughs> it's like it, they were not even biodegradable <laughs> but um, they were cheap so they were cheap but those pictures of awful beer oh my god um i couldn't go back you couldn't even pay me to drink that beer so what's uh, the last time you were here we were it was um kind of towards the middle was it end end of the pandemic i forget somewhere during, somewhere during uh, the somewhere pandemic during the we pandemic. spoke yeah. last and you were giving us an update on commercial real estate just from your vantage point um, in the Burlington area. So I guess now it would probably be interesting, just a bird's eye view from your perspective. Um, first, I guess if you could describe for someone who doesn't know you and you know what you're up to day to day, if you could describe what you're doing and kind of the properties you're looking at, and then just what you're seeing you know, around, I don't know, demand, vacancies, change of tenant profile, any of that kind of stuff, I think would be super interesting. Um, well, so I'm Rob Braderick. Um, I run two businesses. I run AB&I Holdings, which is about half a million square feet of commercial real estate in the Burlington area. Um, I also run Cedar Springs, which is a health bracket and sports club uh, in Burlington as well. Um, what I'm seeing right now is uh, it, it's, it's such a strange market because it is so... It's the first time that the environment, the location of your property um, 
is really different from spot to spot. I mean, you always say location, 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 but in this situation, what's happening in Toronto is different. What's happening in Mississauga is different. What's happening in Burlington. Um, and what's frustrating about this is that you get painted with the same brush. So the CBRE will put out all of its polls, but a lot of that stuff is talking about local in Toronto, what's happening in Toronto, mm -hmm. what's happening in the sky rises. And what's happening in those class A properties is people are moving out because of work from home. Work from home right now is the, one of the biggest enemies that we can have. But you're seeing stats like 50% of these office buildings downtown, people are not there or are not occupied. But what's ha really happening is people are tired of the commute. People are looking for work-life balance. People are working from home. So they're moving to the suburbs. And then in the suburbs, the vacancy rate is different. But what happens is a real estate agent who reads the CBRE news or whatever they're reading is looking at Toronto and they're bringing that to us saying, well, you know, your, your portfolio is 50% unoccupied and ours is not. We're, well, 14, 15%, which is really good for the industry right now. But then they use that as negotiation tactics. Oh, you're hurting. You need to give us more rents, uh, months rent, those types of things. So the commercial agents who are looking to fill a vacancy for you are using the data from Toronto and saying, oh my gosh, you're obviously hurting because look at vacancy rates, rates in the commercial space. But really, you're not, you're not reflective of those rates. I'm not. No. I, and, but we run our businesses a little bit differently. Is that vacancy rate that you just said 14 or 15? Is that a typical one? Higher than normal? Lower? It's what, higher for what we like to be around 10. Okay, got it. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it's 100% is very difficult to be at. So, sure. Um, but we're at like, no, 10% vacancy is really the number that we try to be at. Um, if you're under 25 in today's market, you're doing all right. Mm, yeah. um, but then the, the challenges change constantly. So the, the, the pool of people that are coming to you, uh, we talked about this last time too, 10,000 square foot tenants in a class B property are not coming, but 3,000, 4,000. So slicing and dicing offices, making sure that you can make the office space um, flexible for them. They're looking not only just for space that uh, is offices, but they're looking for collaboration space because the flex environment, three to four days a week, those types of businesses that are doing that are encouraging collaboration, similar to what you have here. I see when I walk around here, you've got breakout space, you've got office space, and then you've got your bullpen area. That's similar to what we're seeing a lot of, um, but being able to be nimble and do the work yourself uh, is really been an asset for us. Mm -hmm. So everyone's familiar, you, your types of properties that the half million square feet that you're talking about, what kind of properties are those? They're class B, so uh, normally two stories, uh, that size of building. Offices. Yeah, office right. space. Um, you know, class A, you're getting into the, the downtown Toronto's, the high rises, lots of elevators, lot, very little common area, that stuff. Um, and the, during the pandemic, the common area was actually something that became of value because social distancing, those types of things, you have areas to go and people didn't want to go into elevators. And I think that's now carried over that class B is, uh, is kind of the way to go, but we are fighting with class A because class A is hurting. So they're dropping their rates. So let's say I'm doing 15 bucks a square foot. Those guys are 35 to $40 a square foot. They're coming in. It's taking deals from us at $15 a square foot just to get something, even though oh, wow. I don't know how you could operate in those types of buildings with $15 a square foot. What's interesting that I've seen as a couple, a couple of businesses that I know in the, um, I guess it's almost like warehousing space. It doesn't have to be. They've been used as offices as, as well. But you know those the area, uh, four hundred three Dundas area. Those those ones that line the four hundred three when you're going north there on the right side. I've seen people renewing rate uh, their leases there, and the landlords just 
like it's like 40% increases on renewal. And, and you know, they were, they were thinking they're like, what well, at the time, like at this time, why are they doing this now? So they've been forced to leave one business forced to close. One business was forced to leave, find a smaller, uh, they found these are all warehouses, right? Yeah. They found a smaller, a smaller space for the same prices that, that they were paying. And their understanding was that, um, it's a lot of, a lot of kind of e-com companies or people that need warehouse space because they need the height for shelving. Yeah. Yeah. You're nodding. So that's what you're seeing because the, the, rents in those places, they're not having vacancy problems because they're jacking the rents up on these tenants. So it's obviously they're not worried about the vacancies. And it's even, so we do have some light industrial that has warehouse spacing. Warehouse spacing is the hottest on the yeah, commercial so market right. right now. So, mm. um, and sorry, why is that? Uh, people need that, the warehousing space for product, mostly for like the CPG companies, anybody who's shipping product, moving product, uh, but they always needed that space. So what's changed that it's the, the buyers now. So people are staying away from retail and doing more so just uh, human nature, everyone is now transitioning more and more online, which means these warehouses are more and more in demand. Yeah, so if you see, like you use an example of uh, retail, malls are not being built because the common areas are expensive in malls. So they're going to these Rio Can style malls that are all outdoors with parking lots in the mm-hmm. middle. And that's kind of what's what happened with the, um, with the industrial market and the warehousing market is that people are buying habits have changed, they're buying online. After they do that, well, it's about keeping product. And you also want to be a demand of product. If your product is on your soil close, it's easier for you to ship. Sure. So just online has made this change to have, you're calling it light, what did you call it, light industrial? Uh, I, what I have is light industrial, but full-on industrial space right now. One, it's it's so overpriced in the market if you're looking to buy. Uh, and two, you can jack your rates to whatever you want to be. So I'll use the example of what we own. Any one of those tenants that leave us, they're leaving us at what we, we, do, we try to do five-year leases. So what we did five years ago, now I can charge 40% more on a new client. So when they try to negotiate with me, it's tough. selfishly, you're, you're not going to give them a break because you know what you can get. So it's really tough from, from the tenant standpoint. Especially if in your portfolio, you have some vacancies that you're trying to kind of compensate for on the stuff that is in demand. You're not really going to be that flexible. Anything that I have that's light industrial is 0% vacancy. Mm. Wow. Zero. And, uh, and people are calling saying... Is that also along the QEW in the Burlington area? Yeah. So the, the light industrial that we have is on the Burloak, uh, basically Burloak and uh, North Service Road. Got it. Area. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's the other thing that's great about uh, all of our office space is it's they're all off the highway. So you have access to highway. You have people that w- are willing to commute. They kind of want to go the opposite way of traffic. They want, they're looking for that different work-life balance. So we do offer that. Um, but then I do have, I have a five-story, uh, which is right at the, like the high end of Class B, that's struggling, that has vacancy huh. more than, than my industrial is 0%, and that's the nicest building we have in our portfolio. But people are staying away from it because elevators, a lot, you're looking at 6,000 square feet. The rooms are harder to divide. Um, so we're seeing some of the tenants downsizing. We had somebody who took the whole fourth floor. Now, uh, when they renegotiated, came back, and we had, now we have half the floor vacant. But that's 6,000 square feet. And to find a 6,000 square foot tenant right now, very difficult. What a world. 
Yeah, it's wild. It's changed so fast. But the two stories that you have that you're referring to as class B office along the QEW there, because they don't have to take the elevator, those ones now are more attractive. Well, they're easier to subdivide. I think that helps too versus, right? Yeah. And that's the way that those buildings were made. They're older style from the 80s. Uh, The gentleman who built those buildings, name was Rudy Reimer. He was a dominant guy in the Burlington uh, area. Um, Downsized his business. Family didn't really... Uh, want to take over so um, he had a good relationship with my father and what he wanted to offload uh, we acquired so um, but they were the older style of buildings with wood trim um, really really beautiful if you look at you know from the character and all those types of things those buildings are a lot easier to deal with because they are divisible Um, but some of the other ones were you know I have to punch a hole in the wall through concrete cinder block you know that type of stuff is completely different environment didn't you did you guys own the when we were in, when we were in the executive suites we were renting you guys owned the building yes Is, yeah oh yeah i forgot if it was that building i know you owned close to there i didn't know well, there was building. a it's funny i think there's mail that still comes for you guys there but um, <laughs> mm. um do you have, do you thanks have, for bringing it today yeah, do you have checks thanks for us for them, <laughs> they were they were like spam i think your book from uh from what's what's the company that has everything in it um uh, Unico? No, what's it called? Anyway. Oh, Uline. Uline, yeah, Uline. Uline. Oh, well, once they I'll get your it, address, they, they just keep mailing yeah. it to those ma- Sorry, Rob. I apologize. Sorry. I'll bring your, your Uline <laughs> magazine next time I see you guys. <laughs> but so there's an example. So we use that space that you're in right now as kind of like an incubator and small startup companies come in there. Is that what it's being used for now? That's what I, yeah. I the way I position it when I, when I, cause I'm also, I wanted to, I'm a learning from the ground up kind of guy. So I wanted to understand the trials of what my real estate agents go through. So I, re- I manage all those contracts myself. I do all the negotiation. I, I do the marketing for it. Um, people come in uh, and they want to negotiate. And I say to them, the best thing that could happen to me is that you outgrow this space because I have more space for you. And so I want to see these people grow. And I've had two or three of them leave uh, and didn't want to st- uh, remain and do business with us, which is the biggest compliment you can get from a from a tenant is that they want to move, they want to get into bigger space, they want to stay with you. Um, but that when when we were here, I think I had six offices um, that were were not uh, were taken, and then uh, there's 28, so 22 vacant. Uh, now I'm six vacant. Oh wow! So that because people are tired of working from home, and I hear the same thing over and over again. There's a reason why uh, there's two different words: office and home, because. Mm-hmm. It needs to be two different spaces. And if you can't, you don't have the discipline to figure out how to get out of the house to do things. This is the next best thing is these flex environments. Um, but then I also have people, I have a travel agent there that has never been there since the day he signed the lease. And I slide things underneath his door just to see if he's there or not. <laughs> if the room's full of stuff, it's, you've slid under the door. <laughs> there's, he, they, they buy the address. They pay for the address. Sure. Yeah. yeah got so, um, but uh, yeah, I'm very, it's a really interesting environment because you're talking from people that are doing startups or uh, I have some mental health coaches that are there, which is a different environment, um, financial people. Um, and they, everyone needs, when you have, and you're in, like, let's say you're doing um, financial planning, nobody wants to invite those people to their house. Because mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is see the, the financial planner's Ferrari and 6,000 square foot mansion while you're giving him money. But you bring them to the office environment, you have a place, you have a boardroom, you have a collaboration area. Those types of things are are uh, really oh, I thought you were meant no one wants to invite them to their house because they just don't like those people. That's what I <laughs> well, thought yeah. you meant. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, you 
there has to be a separation between home life and work life, right? So you get to see that evolution of kind of the economy as it changes to more and more online where warehouse space is required, then, well, you, then a shift from office downtown Toronto to the suburbs. He really has a front row seat almost into just kind of economy. Yeah. Well, because that's the next step. I'm surprised you guys haven't asked me is interest rates. That's a. Uh, we don't want to talk. Yeah, about. we don't talk about interest rates yeah. anymore. No. We used to talk about them all the time. Now it's taboo. <laughs> we don't talk about. It's okay. That's it's no. the only reason why I need How, coffee is yeah. it keeps me up at night constantly. <laughs> it's it's funny. Um, so yeah, let's get your take on it. It has been the one variable that when we got into real estate, we thought, oh my gosh, everything else we can kind of control because if we have a vacancy, but we're good at marketing, we can kind of have some risk management on that thing. But interest rates is just beyond our control. Oh yeah. Some guy gets up in front of a podium somewhere to issue some press release and says the cost of money is now and they wave a magical wand in the sky and they just kind of name some number and we're all supposed to live with it. And that's what got us into macroeconomics is that we realized that was our biggest risk. We didn't know what was going to happen with interest rates and no one really does. So how, how are you managing this whole thing? Um, I mean, this is really, a, for us, it's day to day because our business is, cash flow is super important. Um, so anyone that's trying to get into commercial real estate right now would be, I would tell them be cash heavy because we like to do five-year leases and those are escalating terms, but that's your cash flow increases incrementally by tenant, but over five years, over five years. But, uh, I get, I could have a, some of my, uh, my rates before were under 4%. Now they're going to be 6%. That could be $20,000 a month change. Mm. On expense. So, how do you figure out to keep revenue? How do you figure out how do you deal with these expenses? Plus, every anything that I fix or build has gone up. Any person I hire has gone up. So, I live and die by the most simple report that you can get in simply accounting: cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. I need to know. And then the other side of the coin is I got to put equity into the buildings because if you're not, if your building is not more attractive than any other building, then you're just a commodity. So, and then the real estate agents, you know, negotiate based on the look of the building and all those types of things. So how do I do it? I look at that cash flow statement three times a month. Um, I do a lot of projections. So I take quotes from uh, leasehold improvements that I want to do, pass them over to my controller. Then my controller then puts it in an expense report um, that shows me a forecast. Of, and then I can figure out how do I prepare for a rainy day, save, put equity back into the buildings. Um, I feel like every day is about counting, accounting for me. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be for the next little while as my expenses um, are rising exponentially, but um, it's just a, it's a year over year increase in revenue. Has there been a biggest bang for your buck when it comes to the properties that you're managing right now? Like you just know that this type of investment in the property you know, gets the best return, whether it be like exterior visuals of how the property looks or like the inside foyer. Is there just like one thing that's always like, that's the thing we should do most when we're trying to improve commercial real estate? Um, in a competitive environment, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same as buying a residential property, curb appeal, right? When you drive in and you see a house that the grass hasn't been cut and all you, the first thing you think of is fixer upper. But if you come in and see landscaping and all that, uh, the house looks great from right when you pull into the driveway. It's a different experience and it's a different mindset when you're going in. If I'm going in and I'm looking at a building that's 
not well kept, the first thing I'm thinking is, is okay, well, how much am I putting into this building? And that automatically, I start thinking, okay, well, the price is a million bucks. It's gonna cost me 200,000 to get this up to a certain speed. You know, you start doing math as soon as you walk in when the curb appeal is not right. When you walk in, it becomes an emotional decision because you feel comfortable. You say, oh, look at the parking lots are done. Oh, look, there's no garbage. Oh, look. Okay, so it's like residential. Very similar. On the cash flow management side, are the banks your friends? Or how helpful are the banks? Because when you're looking at these projections, because to, to me, always the banks have been like the enemy. They always want too much paperwork and they, all, you know, they almost want blood from you to give you kind of more money. Um, how have they been to you and your world of commercial real estate? Decent to deal with? Difficult? Um, we have relationships, but at the end of the day, you know, you're dealing with an employee who gets a piece of mm-hmm. what's coming in. So will they try to get you the best deal? Yes, but they're trying to get you the best deal that also lines their pockets. So you have to figure out what's the balance there. Um, and then, but lenders right now are very difficult. For example, we use CIBC. We have a great relationship with CIBC. He was fortunate enough to meet uh, the CEO um, who was going through this whole Wanted to see his smaller customers and understand the grassroots and those types of things. This would be Victor Dodig. Victor Dodig, yes. Uh, invited my father um, to go meet him. It was great. Uh, and this was right around the time that we went to go see you. We came and did the podcast I remember, here. I remember. But now they don't want anything to do with office buildings because of the volatility. Risk management there is not interested in office because 50% office space is available on Class A properties. So they are going away. So they will listen to us but they will only talk about rates 30 days before the renewal. Mm-hmm. So, and how do I get- Difficult. Yeah. yeah, so I have to manage the fact if if I wanna bring in another party, I gotta do it three months out so that they have the time to go and do their due diligence and risk management and develop a relationship. But these other ones don't care. They almost want, the 30 days knocks out the competitors because they won't give you anything. Jeez, yeah. so 30 days, you can't plan anything. Can't plan. So. I, how much, if you had to break out your time, how much of your, your time right now is doing cash flow management versus, I don't know, operational oversight of the properties? Is it, is it like just swayed way more to the cash flow side? I'm just, I guess if you could paint the picture of your life, what percentage of your time is spent where? I'm curious. I, um, I spent a lot of time in front of the numbers. Um, when I first left, uh, you know, we worked together at NetSuite. When I first left NetSuite and being a contributor to the business, to an owner of the business, um, I have, I'm lucky I have a lot of good mentors out there. And the one gentleman said to me, it's all about the numbers. And if you don't know the numbers like the back of your hand, you can't run your business. And then I, I worked with my dad for years and years and he knew that cash flow statement. He could miss a week of work and he knew what it was going to be at the end of the month. So I live and die by it. How did he know that cash? Your, your father was an immigrant into Canada, correct? correct? Yes. How did he, did he teach himself those skills? Like, how did he get to know the cash flow statement that well? So I, and I, I'm just thinking about. He could never answer that question, but I asked other people about. And I said to him, "This is how he ran the business. This is how he understood the business." And a lot of them said that that's that's because he built the business. And you know, when he first bought his first building, he was doing his own maintenance. So mm. you kind of get and you understand the trends. And he just and he was super analytical. So he really um, he really taught me to focus on that, but. It's hard also when a guy who ran the business from 20 years ground up, he just tells me, well, oh, it's just gut. Well, it's not just gut, it's the inputs. <laughs> but he makes his, everyone makes a decision based on their gut, but there's inputs. And so once I started asking him questions about what are your inputs, that also made a lot more sense to me than just, a, oh, you know, I make my decision based on gut. 
And that's a lot of the way he, that's the way he was, but he was a ground up, but he also, he never wrote anything down. He never looked at reports. He never did projections. He just kind of knew that. So those are the things that I brought in was more critical thinking. Let's get the numbers. Let's, what is our true job costing? If you, for us to do a project, uh, a leasehold improvement for a tenant, we're about 13 bucks a square foot. You want to be 13 to $15 a square foot. If you could do that on your own dollar, if you start bringing in contractors, you're at a different level. But then the other side of the coin is if you're bringing in contractors, it's all about speed because a contractor will come in and bang it out in two weeks. They'll be more expensive, but you're a lot more nimble from that perspective. So going back to the cash flow statement, you really need to know what's coming in and what's going out. And I do a lot of it via quoting. So I'll get a quote from someone. We'll agree on the price. That'll be three months down the road. I then put it into my uh, expense forecast and I understand what my cash flow is going to be for the next three to six months if I do these improvements. The only thing that really you have to plan for is if you get a quote unquote bluebird, uh, somebody that comes in and needs to move in in the next 30 days, you need to make sure that you have uh, money allotted to that. So I kind of break up the, our profitability into three spots. Um, the, you know, we know what we're going to make every month. That's a static number. It's almost like it's, it's like a revenue recognition back in the NetSuite days. You just know what the revenue is going to be. But the expenses can be you've got your uh, you've got your mortgages, you've got your utilities. Those are all relatively flat, except for when a renewal comes up for a mortgage or unexpected maintenance. But those are okay because that goes into a, a different part of the of the balance sheet than it does anywhere else. When you're improving buildings and, and those types mm -hmm. of things, it's a different and it's the tax different. So those are those are all um, good expenditures, if you will. Like if you roof, you need to do some work to your roof or, or landscaping. Those are different. Yeah, got it. Um, those also are covered by common area, uh, like what's called CAM. So you have two parts of your lease, one's for your rent and then yeah. to pay the common area. So you can work in that area. And the CAM is, if you when you go through a, a CAM increase with tenants, you, they better be able to see what you're doing. Because mm -hmm. if they don't, your inbox will be full shortly, right? That's so, how we were at our last building. We were convinced that the HVAC system was terrible and we had the contractors that were there oh, that's right. tell us yeah. how, how bad it was throughout the whole building. And we were convinced because our uh, common expenses went up so much every year that um, that we're just like, they must be running some some kind of repairs through here that they, they shouldn't be kind of running through because we were just, it, we were, it just didn't make sense to us because there, we weren't seeing any of it, yeah. right? So it becomes hard that way. It's I, funny, my dad, when he, anytime he bought a building, the first thing that he, he went after was HVAC. He wanted to make sure that the HVAC and air quality was at its best. So when the pandemic hit, we just changed some settings on our HVAC because the recommendation was 18% of, uh, you know, of natural air. So we went from 14 to 18% and we didn't have to pay a single penny. Because you already had the systems yeah. in place. But that's, and, how did you, know, you go through that transition with your father? Because your father was obviously built this up. And then you said you came in almost to help with the business in some capacity. And then you kind of transitioned to running the business. Mm -hmm. how, how did that process go? What, what did you do at the beginning in the commercial real estate? Like, what did he have you doing at the beginning? For some reason, this, I have this vision. Also, I have you, this vision you, of you. <laughs> I have a vision in the pool of some seniors, like kind of aqua aerobics thing, where you were in the pool with a bunch of ladies that were doing aqua aerobics, and you were right in the middle. What, what's that picture? <laughs> I forget that picture that was going around. Well, it, it's, <laughs> and it segues into answering your question. I, I'm a. That's the way I learn is by 
jumping into aquafit pool. So that example, um, we own Cedar Springs Health Racket and Sports Club, and I'm not. I, I was into fitness, but I didn't quite understand all the different classes. So instead of, I read about it. It didn't really resonate with me. So I just went and did them all. Yeah. Um, and I did everything from walk it off with seniors to aquafit in the pool to the the ones for people that are really fit. And then. When you do it a couple of times, you realize what the benefits are. And so I started, that's kind of how I learned everything that I did. I started as a general manager at Cedar Springs. I'm the president now. I hired a general manager. When my general manager comes to me and, you know, needs to cry on my shoulder, I understand. Yeah, you've done it. I've done it. And so I started the same way with my dad's business where um, some of it I was, I maybe I was, you know, jumping in and doing some of the improvements. I was negotiating, uh, you know, contracts those types of things, getting really getting dirty and figuring it out. And that's really what the other side of the coin was. And then I have this guy who built the business for 20 years in my ear who has a vested interest in me as a father, as a business partner. Um, and once I won him over, that's when really things changed. And during the pandemic, my father was never really good at change. He's really good at steady Eddie. I'm the opposite. Change, I welcome change. I can strategize, I can figure things out. At that point in time, he said to me that he didn't, if I wasn't uh, on board, he didn't know what would happen with the business. So um, I really won him over by being assertive during the time period when he was confused as to what to do. What, so, what was an example of that? Um, well, we had, a, we had a facility completely closed. The, 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 uh, the racket club was closed, right? So how do we deal with that? How, how do we deal with messaging to the tenant? Uh, what do we do? Are we charging the, uh, the people or yeah, not? I got it. And then yeah. going to the other yeah, side. Your messaging ability would be much better than your father's. Communication. Your communication skills. Yeah. yeah. Talking to the tenants. Hey, this is mm -hmm. what we're doing. So we've changed it to 18%. My inbox was flooded after that comment because people started feeling welcome back to the workforce and to their office space knowing that clean air was coming in mm -hmm. or whatever those trends were. Sure. Um, even just simple things like uh, putting a signage up. Um, yeah, people appreciated it. They did appreciate that. And then the other side of the coin is dealing with the tenants. <clears throat> Near the end of it, my dad and I were, anything that was negative was my job. Yeah. My dad only wanted, and you know what? That's, that's fair. Yeah, fair. That's where he, he that's, earned it. He yeah. earned it. Yeah. So uh, issues with employees, issues with tenants, anything like that. We wanted nothing to do with it. And so you really learn in those situations with, you know, when, especially when a tenant comes to you angry, um, you learn a lot from that. So I was, I was thankful. And then the other side of the coin is if I needed any kind of advice, we just sat down and discussed things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, th that communication was really one of the areas that I, I took over. And then um, traditional European who came here to work, that usually means micromanagement. And the employees were really struggling with that. And I said to my dad that we have great employees. They've been with us for 12 to 20 years. We don't have to worry about them slacking, but what you need is accountability. So just simple things like I have a work order system. If you have an issue, um, we had one this morning, a leak from, uh, from one of the, uh, one of the uh, sinks. So we get a work order that comes in, gentleman goes to, to uh, go figure out what's wrong, fixes it, comes back. I got a signature, I got a uh, signature from the tenant, I got a signature from who, I, who did the work, and a date and timestamp. So when people call me back and say nothing was done, I say, well, you know, Tom signed this on mm. May 23rd, what do you mean? And then I also know I can go through all the work orders that were done, you have an idea, a rough estimate, if you do six work orders a day, 
hour to 45 minutes, that's a productive day. Your tech background probably helped in that. Too, but I, don't, I don't know, but I'd imagine when you stepped into it, a lot of things were done in probably an old school way versus using technology to the advantage of it. Or no, yeah. It, yeah. Absolutely. Everything my dad did was uh, from the seat of his pants or from his brain. It's really, truly amazing how he managed mm. that business. That generation specifically. Yeah. Our dad yeah. was the same way. Remember, he yeah. he could walk into, like, I remember just sometimes just just smaller jobs or like a basement or something. He'd walk in, he'd look around, he'd be like, okay, this many square feet of drywall. And I'm like, what? He didn't like really measure anything or, or anything. And then yeah. we'd, we'd place the order and it was literally within a few sheets. Like it was crazy. Yeah. Like I'm like, how do you, you just looked around and you just decided that was it. I think <laughs> you know? it's like a Broderick saying here that you just, as you start in the business, you grew with the business, you know, everything you started well, from a small job yeah. to a bigger job. You kind of understood everything. Well, I think when you went back to saying your dad was using his gut, I think a lot of times people attribute it to gut, but it's just experience. Yeah. And it's experience over time to, to your, what you were saying was, you know, the inputs coming in allows you to use your gut if you, that's what you're calling it. And, and I think there's a difference sometimes in using your gut and using your experience. And there's kind of a, like a combination of both. Because Tom often will, will make, you know, sometimes I think you're using your gut in feeling of something because something doesn't feel right. But sometimes you're also using it because um, I, I, I like numbers. Right. And sometimes like Tom, just look at the damn numbers. Don't use your gut. Right. But but sometimes the gut's one thing. But also you're just like, look, man, I've been doing this for 10 years. I don't want to go down this path. This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right? And yeah. I can respect that because I I'm like that in some ways, too. I'm like, don't even talk to me about that. Like, I've already know I already I've been down that path a number of times. I don't want it just doesn't make sense. And that is Similar to that, my dad didn't want to do anything new. And the, one of the things that was great about our relationship is he said, okay, that's a great idea. Run with it. You're doing it. But he didn't ever want to, he liked Steady Eddie because he was at the end of his career, right? So it made sense for him to like Steady Eddie. But, um, you know, just just for example, like the incubator is an example of a, something that I said, let's try this because I was seeing, I wanted to capitalize on the work from home trend for the people that are tired of working from home and that need that flex space. It ended up being, you know, in 16 months, we're, we only have six vacant suites. So um, for our business, that kind of space was absolutely critical. I mean, oh, when yeah. we started that space and then we started in there with, with one, two, one, was one, one, and then quickly one. You're right. It was one. We had three people We had two, three desks, three people in one tiny yeah, office. Unit 22. Was that unit 22? Yep. And then in there, then we got a second one. Then we needed bigger ones. We still got two, but they had no windows, but they were bigger. Yeah. They were kind of behind that sandwich bar oh, wall. Yeah. I was thinking those were where we started. No, right. we, we started, started in, in the, the corner. corner. That's no. right. And then we needed an office for you because you were broker of record and you were signing all the papers. So we needed a lot Just to keep the office. checks in and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we needed another office. So I was still in a laptop bag in that common area that they had. And then eventually- We ended I, up having five. Before we left, we ended we up five. having five. Yeah. And yeah. then-, then um, yeah, that's when that landlord stopped paying rent, and we were paying, and the doors were locked. That one day, yeah, that was he, that was oh, he, that's, that locked. Oh, that doors. was then. No, we didn't own the building at that time. Oh, yeah, that never, was right before. Yeah, it was right. We bought okay. shortly after that. Okay, because the doors were chained, literally chained with that security guard. Yeah, I wish I knew. Rob, can you please unlock it? I yeah. want to get my computer. That's why I was wondering <laughs> if Rob owned the building and your, and your father at that time, because no. um, there's a security guard there, and we needed our stuff, and we were paying all our rent. We didn't know that, you know, he wasn't paying his rent. And they said the security guard wouldn't let us in because they're like, no, because, well, you know, because it's the assets of the business. Once they're getting evicted, we're like, no, no, those aren't the assets of that business. Those are ours. Let us in. Because yeah. the gentleman that ran it before uh, moved out of that space and, and took the bottom floor. So it's oh, not the same. It. He didn't, he's been paying me for 
six, seven years straight. He's and he's a good tenant, so it can't be the same person. No, no, that no. person I think left the business. Yeah, but yeah. we had to pull everything out. We didn't listen to the security guard. Nick got in there and pulled all our stuff out in the hallway. Then they called the cops on us, and the police. <laughs> no, the, literally, the police showed up because it was like an active robbery or whatever. And uh, we put all our stuff into the common area, and we rented uh, Pens those Penske, Penske rental trucks. And the cops came and Nick was, uh, we, we were then all talking to, to them, but Nick was explaining that like, this is, this is our, like we haven't, you know, we're an operating business. This is our stuff. Well, we the, when the security guard called the cops, I said, here, give me the phone. Cause she's like trying to say like, we're stealing this stuff. I'm like, give me the phone. I explained to the cops what we're doing. I'm like, no, this is our Imagine stuff. Imagine the security guards calling the cops on us. And Nick takes the phone from the security guard to say, let me explain what I'm doing. <laughs> I know you guys. Yes. I can imagine that. So then I tell them, I'm like, yeah, we'll take all our stuff. So, so then the cops were just like, okay, like eventually she's like, you know, she's like, no, you can't do that. I'm like, no, 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 we're doing it. Like, that's what I'm doing. I'm here. You can come talk to me. And she's like, okay, well, just then just keep the stuff there until we get there. And I'm yeah. like, that's fine. Cause we're waiting for the truck. But if you're not here by the time we get the truck, we got to move. But then so. we negotiated to keep that one space because we needed our fax machine yeah. into that phone. So we literally had somebody working with us stay in that office next to a fax. So an empty room with a fax machine plugged into the wall and one person manning the fax machine. Back then we were still getting deals back sometimes yep. on fax. If you can believe it. I do. Um, so anyway, that's the adventures of someone in one of your buildings, what they're going through sometimes, but not your building at the time. But we're, I, no, that, that experience of having a tenant going through that situation, in the 20 years that we've been in business, uh, it happened to us three times, twice to my father and then only once to us. And the one time it happened to me was during the pandemic where the business just didn't have the cash yeah. flow to sustain it and they had to, had to shut down, which is awful because I ended up inheriting a whole bunch of office furniture and there's no market for office furniture. There's nothing, the Kijiji, nothing. Nobody wants it. So you literally have to throw it away, which is such a waste. Wow, because in the past there was a market. Yeah, That's now you can get uh, these used companies to come but you have to pay them to take it so that they can sell it. That must be because wow. it's used because I know a guy that has um, an office furniture company. Um, he's doing very well. They had They had a banner year that's last year hmm. um which is interesting new so only new they don't do they don't do use but um but but at his size that, it seems strange it, and his size and he's 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 in the u.s as well and stuff too so he's he's it's a it's a it's a large company and just back to rob's point about um vacancy rates uh, a friend of ours um is connected kind of into the what uh, you know Toilet paper and hygienic papers and all that kind of stuff into downtown Toronto. They Tom still, uses that. Tom's always always this is and it's a good it's, it's a good it's yeah. my informal vacancy check. Yeah, so I ask him. Up. I ask him all the time. Um, hey, so like, how much your property managers downtown Toronto in those office buildings? How much toilet paper are they ordering as a percentage of what they used to order before the pandemic? And it's been like our little our barometer to how many people are going back to work. About. And it was really low. Like Makes sense. a couple of years ago, like a year and a half ago it was still like i couldn't believe it was like 19 percent or something but now he finally told me this would be about within the last two months i believe the number was 39 percent, and he said that was a, a bit old data like a you know four to eight weeks old data so maybe it was closer even to 50 percent. i was still surprised that it was only that i thought it might be higher because i do see more like the go train stations and the parking lots are more full but from people that i know that are working downtown they're just going now tuesday to thursday mm -hmm. and sometimes on shorter hours Hours. So I guess that kind of makes sense that toilet paper usage would be between 39% and maybe 50%. Oh, yeah, 60%. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> what, what I'm we got the toilet paper gauge. <laughs> this is something that I'm really disappointed as, and I, and I attribute it to a lack of leadership is 
And there's so many employees that want to work from home, but not every business is geared towards working from home. If you're a salesperson who's motivated by commission, it doesn't matter where you're working. If you're not working, it's really easy to sure. figure out because you're not bringing in your numbers. But um, go on, like, use the example of downtown Burlington. If you go to downtown Burlington at one o'clock on a Friday afternoon, can't find a parking spot, the park is full, and the first thing I think of is working from home. So these people may answer an email while they're sitting on a park bench or something like that, but they are being paid to be in office for 7.5 hours that day, but they're not. So the productivity is going down and I understand what's happening. People want work-life balance. Commute is very hard. I've done the commute. Um, that's very hard on your body. But if you do things correctly, you can get an extra hour of work in the car just by doing phone calls. So, um, but leaders right now are, are not going at the employees. They're not, they're, they're just saying, well, I don't want to lose this person because they're saying that they're going to work from home or it's going to be mutiny. Mm. They're all going to leave me at the same time. I mean, I've called that bluff multiple times in the workforce and I've never, ever had multiple people leave. What you need to do in that situation is figure things out. I use city hall as an example. Try to call somebody after three o'clock at city, city hall. They all work from home and they don't answer the phone. So, so on that specific point, just so who was telling us, Nick, that they were trying to get permits just for some, you know, we need more housing and they were trying to get permits from the city approved and they were taking even longer because everyone in the city was working from home in this department. They still have the recordings yeah. playing that everything's taking longer. Yeah. Like, like, I think some of them still. So like we, we are in desperate need of yeah. housing and somebody wants to build a beautiful house and they can't get the permits fast because the meetings can't happen because everyone's working from home. Yeah. But we have more government workers than ever. And they don't, and, but the government doesn't want to bring back the in-house policy because they're afraid of attrition. I don't think they're afraid of attrition. I they're think, afraid of, I think it's a political decision. They're afraid of what it, it, what the perception of them is. And I think it's a voting decision, especially on the federal side. Mm -hmm. We, they've, they've, if, cause if you look at the employment trends and you, you probably know this, but we hired far more, like the only reason our unemployment rate is where it is, is because the amount of government workers we've hired over the last few years is just, it's the highest it's ever been. The Trudeau, Rob, uh, Rob, have you seen charts on this? No. I wish I had it. Oh yeah. It's astronomical. The Trudeau government we'll has circle back after this. Yeah. The Trudeau government's hired more uh, more government workers than any other government before, so it's the, it's literally the only reason. Talking about it goes back to interest rates because our our employment numbers aren't as good as they look if you remove all these government workers. And then they recently came out and they wanted wage increases. And yeah, I'm all for people that want wage increases. And you know, I, I agree with that. And as, as I, I, I agree more if you increase the value you show, and then I think you should get even a higher wage increase. So that's, you know, but, and, and then they were talking about the work from home, which they ended up leaving out and they just hush hushed it on both sides. And they said, okay, we'll just cover this another time. And I think the reason that wasn't brought up is because they didn't want to they didn't want the perception of them being a certain way whether people agree or disagree and that's what i think it comes back to it comes back to politics but it's going to come down to the fact that commercial real estate is usually um like it's a high profitable business right and if the profitability goes down then the amount of taxes that you pay is less and I was hearing rumblings. Uh oh, Rob's using logic again, Tom. I, I was using rumblings. <laughs> I was using rumblings uh, that I've heard uh, that they're trying that the government's going to look to protect and incentive put incentives out there for people to have office space to protect the commercial office environment, and that's more towards the Class A properties because, look, you're living in downtown Toronto. It's there's a image that's expected, and the the expectation is that those office buildings 
are full. And if those officer buildings are full, then the infrastructure around it, the lunch places, the coffee places, all those places now become viable businesses again. But they need the people to do that. And it's, and I've heard, but I haven't seen anything that they're considering some sort of incentive to people to get office space. Mm-hmm. Because thought- of what, it, you used the example of that building that we were in. There's absolutely no chance that I could put somebody into that uh, sandwich bar place the way things are right now. They can't. They could not. They the volatility. It would be. You can't run a business Tuesday to Thursday and expect. What about the other four sure. days of the week? Yeah. But that's not just that business. That's the coffee shop downtown. That's the restaurants in Bay Street. Like you go in lunchtime, you can get a seat anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, five years ago, you couldn't go to the keg at lunch. Mm-hmm. No chance. I've talked to a few different. I don't know if the directors, VPs. There's so many VPs of banks. I I, I don't know, but but people that that have a, a good amount of. A, a, a decent sized team underneath them. Um, and this is, this is two of different banks downtown and they've all told me that they have real performance issues to your point with the work from home. There's like real performance issues that they see, but there, there's fear and, in, in you know, mandating that people come back, but there's just opportunity there. I think if I was a young person now, man, you, you, oh. it's an opportunity. You get your butt in the office and you start building those relationships and the, stuff and you're going to see The easiest up. thing, I, I remember picking up Steve to go to NetSuite. The easiest thing we did to quote unquote get ahead at NetSuite was we showed up early and we stayed late. Yeah. Like we just, I don't know if we did anything more magical than we showed up at 7.30 in the morning when most people showed up at like nine. By the time other people showed up at nine, got their coffee, used the washroom, like it's almost 10. We showed up at 7.30 and we stayed till kind of six-ish, sometimes later, but every day. And that was like the big secret to our success. It was just being around. You got more stuff done, you had more conversations. And I think early in your career, people have kind of forgotten that. Yeah, and before you left, you were a sales manager. Before, By the time he left, he was some sort of, you know, He was the highest executive in Canada. Yeah, VP. Yeah, Yeah, so I mean. And I'll remember that because I was coming in as an individual contributor. You guys were on your, to your next management thing. And every single one of you said the same thing. They walked the floor at five to nine and quarter after five every day. And if you're in your seat, the head executive at the time made a point to talk to you. Yeah. And then you got a chance to develop a relationship. It's so true. It was, it was that easy. Yeah. And then it, you know, it, then it was also a work ethic. Mm-hmm. The expectation of your manager is to hustle, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're showing that, it makes, it, it makes the argument for you to get that position a lot easier. There was a little while there, there was a bunch of us, Steve, Rob, Adrian, Dennis, and everyone was, and everyone, everyone had that same, you came in or everybody was working kind of, uh, you know, the same hours and everybody was kind of progressing in NetSuite because of that. And they looked at us as a group of friends thinking, what is this? Cause everyone knew that there was, a, everybody was Croatian at that time. They were like, what is this Croatian cabal here in NetSuite? But it really wasn't anything to do with the friendships. Although that was really valuable to maybe grease the wheels and a lot of different things. But it was just that everyone had the similar work ethic. I mean, Adrian was sending emails at like 3 AM that you'd get emails from him, you know, wondering what he's doing. So my first day at NetSuite, I'll never forget this. So I didn't know Adrian worked there and we went to high school together and we, you know, you kind of lose touch when you go to university and he'd, He's a couple of years older than me. So he, uh, <laughs> I come there and I'm at eight, I'm supposed to start at nine and I'm there at 8.15 and the door's locked. I can't get in. I didn't get an access card. I thought, oh my man, the right building. Are they not waiting for me? The, even the receptionist wasn't there. <laughs> I kid you not, the first person that greeted me was Adrian. And when I told him what I was doing, he said, oh, you're on the sales team? Oh yeah, you might as well come to my office. No one will be there till nine o'clock. And he was right. So I sat on my first day. I didn't see HR or anyone. But I sat with 
Well, yeah. I guess he he might have been a VP at the time. I, I guess, yeah. I can't yeah, remember. Probably. He was he was uh, well on his way, and I'm sitting in his office waiting for the people who are supposed to welcome me. But then, so I just assumed there was a guy that I liked, I, I looked up to, uh, and he introduced, introduced me to you guys, and it was the same thing. I just thought, these are what these guys are doing. It makes sense. And then you realize, but then you come to rely on it. That 45 hour, half, whatever it is that you're coming in in the morning is your time so that when the nine o'clock crew shows up, the distraction of 30 minutes that you lose in that time period, oh. you know, because you talk about the Leafs or whatever it was the night before, that 30 minutes, you've already accounted for. So totally. you can be that much more productive. Yeah, it, it, that extends to everything in life. Um, you know, I guess with everything you have with commercial real estate now, and I guess all of it being, you know, you've been contributing now for years, but all of it because of what your father's done in his lifetime. And now he's recently passed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's difficult to go through, I guess, when you reflect on his life and what he's accomplished now from the seat you're in today. Um, what stands out to you? Is it, has it changed in the last like few weeks versus the last few years? But when you reflect on your father, I'm getting kind of chills just yeah. talking about this. So it's tough. It's tough. Um, we don't have to go here um, if you don't want to. I'm confident uh, but to talk about it. Yeah, so. I'm just I'm just curious. And when you reflect back on his life, um, what what comes to mind? Like, well, how do you think about it? What 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 do you think about? I think the first thing I think about is that. There's a respect element because to do what my parents did, similar to all of our parents that come here from another country, don't speak the language, go to school, and then build a business. Um, to me, it's one of the most interesting things because you can ask as many questions as you want, and but you'll it's just leaving a country and coming here, not knowing anyone here, not knowing the language, didn't text anybody, didn't know who was living here, and then you know building a community and all that type of stuff. Outside of that, then to start a business and take risks. The difference between my father and I is he's a, a real risk taker. He was a true, he, he really would jump out there. I'm a lot more calculated. I'm very analytical that way. So the inputs that he takes, he may take, they use the number of, let's say he take five inputs and make a decision. I'm 15. I would do 15 in the same time period that he would do, but I need more. I'm very analytical. And that's so, trying to be him is probably the worst thing you, I could possibly do because we are different in a lot of ways. But on the other side of the coin, I got a guy that before he hired uh, the maintenance guy, he was the maintenance guy. He owned the building. He was changing light bulbs. So mm -hmm. when you start with that and then build that, it's a completely different experience. Right. He needed less inputs. Just the base of his experience was broader and longer. But to me, we had a meeting every day at 930. It's what I miss the most. Um, and we had, it was broken up into three sections. In, the, in person, you had that meeting over the phone? During the pandemic, we met every day. It was, it, my dad and I were best friends. I, I miss him dearly, um, but he prepared me for where we were at right now. In the last two and a half years, I was running the show with, he was the board. So I was presenting to him. It was really, we had a really great time. Um, but at the end of it, you know, I look at it. If I was going to be trying to be him, I don't think I could do it. Because I just, we are different. But what I learned is after all these years of asking him questions, how to make it mine, how to make the decisions that are I'm comfortable with, not what he would do. This is what I would do. We talk about it. Um, a lot of times he just let me run with it. And so being more analytical, I was bringing reports to him and things like that. And he just really, he said, oh my God, this is amazing. I love this. And But he had already known from the ground up what the numbers were going to be. But the projections and things like that, 
I got him uh, addicted to the numbers as well. And then, it, it, so I get, I had his input, I had my input. And after two and a half years, I kind of knew what his answers were going to be um, because we spent so much time together. That's so, cool that you got to spend that time. Not everyone gets to spend that much time together with their father. That's really cool. And as a side note, this is something that I didn't really understand is now that he's gone and I miss him dearly, I don't have any regrets. I said that to see you guys before. We were together every day. Um, we had a great relationship. We were like best friends. That father-son was gone. It was Now we were just really tight. Um, so that's really important when you look back with no regrets. But then you hear things that people say. Like they say, I heard people say to me, oh, you know, it's really special, that relationship. I never took it for granted. I just assumed everyone's dad was always around. Mm. I just assumed that... Like when, when he passed away, I was looking at the people that came to pay respects. Hockey coaches for my kids came to pay respects. Why? They knew my dad. My neighbors came to pay their respects. They knew my dad because he was always around. And I didn't realize that that's not normal. That not everybody has that relationship. So it, when you're mourning, it's kind of a good way to get over it because you're like, wow, I, did, I had something special. So when I look back and think about it, I think of positive things. I'm a very positive person. That's just, I can't be any other way. Um, but you get that from when you're discuss when, you, when people come to pay their respects and they tell you stories. So they, even things like, oh, your dad talked about you all the time about how great you were in the businesses and good hands and stuff like that. When you're at the board, like when you're just about to cry because you miss your, your parents so much that you've lost, it's, it makes you feel so good knowing that that's what they were saying about you. Or, you know, I, my friend, some of my friends were joking around, I've had the same friends for uh, 39 years. They were joking around saying, we knew your dad so well that we could do the eulogy. Mm. But not everybody's dad was like that. And I just didn't, I didn't understand that. I, I just assumed that that's how it was. And I had that experience with my friends and I knew their dads, not as much. My dad was just always around. Like he loved hanging out with the guys. He loved, uh, you know, being there, uh, invited everybody to the house. And, near, and then guys got older, they, he was going golfing with them. I didn't even know. So um, there's a great story, actually, my friend told me. So my dad bought a new, new set of clubs, had the worst round of his entire life. <laughs> and on the 18th hole, he says to my friend, do you want these clubs? <laughs> and my friend said to him, sure, yeah, no problem, I'll take them. Like, he's thinking my dad was kidding because yeah. he had such a bad round. I kid you not, in the office the next day, there was a set of clubs with a bow on it for him. Yeah. <laughs> he gave them away. <laughs> but those are the things that people tell you. Yeah. And it's that funny. helps you get over it. Yeah, it's it's so you know. I just I've been fortunate enough to see some pictures of you, your father, with your family and stuff. And something that just struck me are were how many pictures of were uh, of him smiling. And you know, kind of like you could just tell there's like you pick up an energy off a, off a picture. And I had this weird realization there, Rob, which is I don't know. It just made me realize, wow, like you go through your whole life, and then some of the pictures that maybe people are drawn to the most are the ones when someone has a big fat happy smile on their face with people around them that they love and it just kind of inspired me to have more happy goofy family pictures um, because at the very end those are kind of the things that people hang on to some of those you know magical little moments that are shared that in that way well his and, three things were family work ethic and respect mm. He'd always say to me, if he was making, making a, a new relationship, a new business relationship, uh, he would say to the person, this is a done deal, and shake his hand. And he said, just to let you know, 
that this handshake is more powerful than any signature you're ever going to get. And you look a guy in the eyes and say that. And the old school guys loved it. The new school guys don't quite understand that. But that's how he was. He, if he shook his hand made a deal. Guys and said, we're doing this, it wasn't, it was, we agreed. I love that. Yeah. I, I think that. I, I, You've always I lived that. by that. I yeah. just, I, I just, I, I, something I'm trying to teach my, my kids too about just, you know, just you have to keep your word and stuff. And I just love that because it, it's a personal connection versus a signature on a flipping piece of paper. It matters more when I'm telling you something. Yeah. Okay. Let's put it on paper. We'll put it on paper for legal. But it's like. I just feel like that. And then I, and I just love doing business with people like that too. Like we've, we've, there's certain people, you know, we've done business now with for, I guess you can say decades. And when it comes to what, what let, loyalty. Yeah. Well, well just what they're going to do for us. If you know, they're walking into a property and they're taking care of some stuff for us. We're just like, yeah, whatever you think, like we just trust them. Like, it's just like, I, I trust this person. I know. And when, if it comes back to like a payment and stuff, they just know there's not going to be them chasing us around for money. There's going to be no question. It's just like want mm-hmm. those relationships are just make life better and easier for everyone. I've yeah. also seen Nick live by that. Like at the end of a busy day or something, he will not leave because then i'm like hey why aren't you like let's get out of here and he's like oh i, I told so and so i was gonna do this i have to do this before i leave today yeah, sometimes it pisses me off <laughs> but, <laughs> but i did it yeah, yeah, yeah but you did it and you lived yeah. by it yeah the word like a, a person's word it used to be it used to say a man's word right but it's a person's word now is um is really there's a lot of value to that but people don't realize how much of value there is unless you've lived it like i've lived it with my father like you guys you do that as well um and I say that to my kids too. If I make a promise, it's done deal. And they don't even they don't even question me when I say I promise I'll do it. It was something our dad always mm-hmm. taught, told me over and over again. Because I know it was just little things. Like I said, I was going to cut the grass. And if he came home that night <laughs> and, I, and I didn't cut the grass, holy shit! I was like lying on the couch or something. I'd be like, I heard the door. I was like, oh no. I'd like run out the back yeah. door I'd and back into away. the garage. I would back away. Nick, you're on your own on this one, man. I'm, I'm out of here. That's so funny. I've had the exact same experience where I said, oh yeah, by the time you get home, I'll cut the grass. And then I'm watching TV. You, you yeah. look at the time. You're like, shit. Oh. And you think about it at the time, you're like, I just wanted to watch TV, yeah. dad. But then the other side of the coin, the lesson is more valuable. Yeah. 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 I talk about that with my kids <laughs> now. Recently, it was with my daughter where, you know, she had some things that she said she was going to do, but she was doing something else first. I'm like, listen, work's always first. Like you can do those other things and enjoy them. But when you do the work first, you actually enjoy those other things better and longer and more. You do the work first. You need to suffer to appreciate the reward. And I know people laugh when I keep saying this word suffer, but I mean, life isn't all just this happy journey. The happy journey, it's, it, life is a balance. And if you have no work, no suffering, you can't appreciate the other side. Well, you use the word suffer, but that's growth. To me, that's yeah. growth. Because anytime that you put I your- like your, suffer, it sounds and, harder. No, but it's fine. But I just, <laughs> but I relate it back to what we were talking about the gym earlier, right? You progress as a person by- providing putting stress on your body and there's a there's a moment where it can be too much but but putting stress on your mind and your body so that it grows it learns it, it becomes better becomes stronger fitter whatever that's actually like a positive thing it's good that's that's mm. and that, what when i use the word suffer no i know i know but it. but that's yeah. what i'm saying it, it's a good thing like it's that's what everyone should be doing when you put no stress on your mind or body so you don't put it in an uncomfortable place what happens to your mind like people that retire if they don't have anything going on and they're not actively doing stuff they just kind of like they 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 they, they, they 
I don't know if the problem, it's not the right term or something I'm looking for, but they almost rot away in a mm-hmm. way, right? And physically, I mean, if you don't use your body, you see what happens, like everyone knows what happens to your body physically. You just, it just, it literally rots away, right? So, um, it, yeah, that's it's what you got to do. So yeah, you suffer whatever word you want to use. It's 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 good. It's it's it, it's impactful when you use the word suffer. I guess maybe that's what I'm trying to do. But I love your what your father said about family, work ethic, and respect. Mm-hmm. I mean, he seemed to have lived by these principles of these things, and uh, now it's kind of going on to the next generation. I have one last question for you about your father. Just on reflecting on this, has it changed anything um, with the way you're dealing with your kids? now that you're reflecting back on some of your experiences with your father and and maybe not yet or you're right you're right winger and goalie yeah <laughs> my right winger the, the goalie that you you guys have produced and the right winger um, um so the goalie the, is younger and so she's a little different but it's work-life balance for her my dad was also really into fitness so much so that he bought his own fitness club right so is that why he bought it i don't know i really don't know why he bought it because no one in, in none, no of, one, none no of our one. none of our uh, real estate inv- uh, advisors, he kept it from them. He bought it and he kept it from them. So maybe there was some, there so was, was, some truth. It was an emotional decision for sure. But he was really. I think he he used to joke around saying he wanted his own school, his own church. Uh, <laughs> he never said his own fitness facility. But so he had his own school at one point. He didn't buy a church, but he got his own fitness facility. So maybe there is some truth to it that way. I never got that answer from him, but. Um, with my daughter, it's the work-life balance. It's, hey, you're in rep hockey, but in order to be in rep hockey, you got to get good grades. And that's how it was from my dad was like that with me. With my son, um, it's everything because he's going to high school now and he's going to be exposed to a whole bunch of different things that he may not be exposed to uh, in elementary school because there's older kids. He's at the bottom of the food chain. But he's got a good balance. He's got sport. Um, he has the work ethic. He's not afraid of a shovel. Um, he's an avid mountain biker in the summertime. So he's like, he, they dig, they do, they build ramps. He's cruising around with a shovel in his backpack. Like, so I work at that, that work ethic thing is something that I've gone through. My son, um, I taught him about using coaches as an example. I just said to him, you call every, if that person is your coach, and you see them five years later, you still call them coach. It's a respect thing because of the amount of time that you have to um, you have to put in from a volunteering perspective. That's why you say coach. Hi coach, how are you? And I saw a coach that changed my son's life and he came running over to me and he said, I saw your son and a bunch of boys that played for me. And all these boys walked right by, said, hi coach, your son, walked by, stopped, took a double take, dropped his bag, walked over, came over, looked me in the eye, shook my hand and said, hi coach, how are you? So he gets the respect, but that all that comes from what my parents, uh, specifically my dad and the, and the handshake and those types of things was something that my dad was big on. So yeah, I parent my, my children based on what my dad had kind of instilled in us. Um, but yeah, it all comes down, yeah. your team is your family. Yeah. Respect the coaches. And when you're on the ice, I mean, for God forbid, you do something wrong. Um, did I ever tell you the story about Wendell Clark and my dad? Because I told it, uh, we did a celebration of life this weekend. Not a lot of people heard it. But I think this is a good way to wrap the show up. So um, Maple Leaf Gardens, Leafs versus Detroit, Prober versus Wendell Clark. Wendell Clark's not playing. We're not happy. Um, 
I asked my dad if it was okay if I went behind the net to go pick up one of the pucks that were going over the glass. But back in Maple Leaf Gardens, didn't have the mesh around the glass or anything like that. I find one, I pick it up, and the next one hits me on the head. <laughs> I put my hand on my head, I'm bleeding bad. Usher grabs me, takes me back, and in that time, behind in Maple Leaf Gardens, was the first aid room was behind the Leafs bench. So I walk in there and I'm upset. I'm maybe nine, 10 years old. I'm, I'm crying, I'm crying. And Borea Salming and Wendell Clark walk in. And immediately- That's I, wild. I stop crying. And I'm super excited. These are two Leafs legends. legends. Uh, and my dad, he's, he must be running from the upper sections down to come to find me. He finds me and he's out of breath. And he's like, are you okay? Are you okay? I said, yeah. And he literally turns after I say I'm okay. And he looks at Wendell Clark and Borea Salming and says, what's wrong with you two? Immediately, because he's now he's because he, they weren't in the line. Neither of them were neither in the lineup. Line we paid to go see him. Wendell Clark starts talking about how he has a back injury, and my dad, being the high red that he is, cuts off Wendell Clark mid sentence and says, "My back hurts too. I still got to go to work on Monday." <laughs> they signed a puck to Ivan from Wendell and Boria. <laughs> supposed to be for me. <laughs> he made an impression. But he made an impression on those guys, but then it, you know it goes right back to yeah. work ethic and those types of things. As soon as he found out his son, family first. Did they play the game? No. No, got no. it. Okay. They stayed true to their word. <laughs> hey, my back sore. I'm it'd be not awesome like, if they went into yeah, the game imagine? after that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as soon as he found out his family was okay, he went right after someone's work yeah. ethic. <laughs> Rob, I mean, thank you for coming in and doing this. You don't have to come in here and share like you share. And uh, it's always a pleasure and it's appreciated to get some insight into the commercial real estate world that we really don't have too much insight into. Um, we value it a lot. So to hear your opinions and, and get this kind of information from you is really helpful. So. Thank you so much for doing this. Really, and, and really appreciate it. I, I, I enjoy it. Thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully we can do it again. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Rob Bradrick. A big shout out to Rob. Thank you so much for doing that. Really appreciate you sharing your experience and insights with us, Rob. And if you are listening to this and want access to some education around real estate investing, like hearing from our accountant about the pros and cons of holding real estate, either personally or inside corporations, you can you can do that by becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member. And you can find out about the membership by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.